Well, good morning to you all, and welcome to you here in church. I, I see we're a, a few less than we would normally expect, and I expect there's a lot more listening on the, on, on the uh, internet today, so good welcome to you as well. And uh, this is the third Sunday uh, in Advent, and Duncan will be preaching from John chapter 1 with the theme of Who is God and Lord of All? That's after that, sorry, and after that, uh, Adele is going to come up and read the lesson from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Thank you. Good morning. The reading from John 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Thank you. Well, please do take a seat and let me add to Robin's welcome. We're delighted to welcome you here. And uh, for the next wee while, anyway, we're going to be looking at God's Word. And we do so under the conviction that all of God's Word is always relevant to us all of the time. And that when we read the pages of the Bible, we really do hear God speak. And if you're convinced that's the case, then it's really worth taking some time to do. And um, if you have a Bible, please turn back with me to John 1. Um, and those words are also printed in the diary that you got on the way in. You may find it helpful to follow there. Before I start, I want to share with you one of my favorite Christmas-related stories and it's one that goes all the way back to the year 325 AD, like 17 centuries ago. 
In 325 AD, there was a church council convened. Representatives of the church gathered together under the, under the direction of the Roman emperor, Constantine, to settle some important matters. The central issue was this, who is Jesus? Or more accurately, what is Jesus? And the council was needed because there was a new preacher on the block whose name was Arius, and he was teaching that, yes, Jesus was the Son of God, but that Jesus was a created being. He was the first and the greatest of God's creatures. And so in Arius's mind, he could picture a time where Jesus, God the Son, didn't exist. Now, I tell you this story because there's a legend, and I want you to hear that word, there's a legend about that council that has risen up. There is good evidence that St. Nicholas was present at the council. Yes, Santa was at the council. And he was a staunch opponent of Arius and his doctrine. And here's what the legend says. It says that Santa was listening to the debate. And one of Arius's followers describes um, his, his uh, doctrine saying, there was a time when the sun was not. And Santa got up from his seat and punched the Arian in the mouth. Now let me say, just because Santa does it, does not mean that it's okay for you to do it. That is not how we settle debates. But there is something we can learn from old Saint Nick. Understanding who Jesus is matters. It's important. It's not some minor detail that uh, can, be, can be left to the side. It is something that is worth having a deep conviction about. Because to get this wrong is disastrous. That council in 325 rejected Arius's view. And the passage of Scripture that we're considering this morning is a key text of Scripture for explaining why they were right to reject Arius's view. These are the opening words of John's Gospel, and they are among the most profound words that human beings have ever written. There are four Gospels in the Bible. They are, each of them, accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And the great benefit of having four Gospels is that they each have a different emphasis, a different aspect of who Jesus is or what Jesus did stood out to the different writers. And so you see this in where each of the Gospels start. If you were to read Mark's Gospel, he starts in the wilderness, and there Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and he commences his ministry. But if you read Matthew and Luke, which is usually where we read at this time of year, well, it's because for Matthew and Luke, Jesus first appears in Bethlehem, born of Mary, laid in a manger. But for John, these words that Adele read for us earlier, Jesus first appears way before any of that. John's story starts 
in eternity, in some point before the world was even created. John's account of Jesus doesn't start in a specific place. He wants us to see that if we're going to understand who Jesus is, we have to see that his appearing involves the entire cosmos, not just a single place. And this is why this part of the Bible is so helpful to us, because as we consider and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, we are forced to ask some questions of the baby who was born. John is telling us here that Mary's son, as we've just been singing, is the one who is God and Lord of all. Where a mother laid her baby, who is God and Lord of all. That's what John 1 tells us. And to get that across to us, John engages us with some images. And we're going to specifically, excuse me, think of two of them. He opens by telling us that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. And there's a lot here that is hard to describe, but what John is saying to us is actually really clear. So it might be hard to make sense of, but what he says is really clear. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so here he is clear. Jesus did not first come into existence in the womb of Mary. No, he was already there in the beginning. You may know that it's very similar words that open the first page of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's as if John deliberately wants to take our minds back to there to understand who Jesus is. Before an atom of this world had been brought into existence, there he was, the Word. And he spells that out, doesn't he? Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And John doesn't just imply that this Word that he's speaking about uh, was God, the Creator. He explicitly says it, verse 1, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this is where it becomes hard for us. Would you be able to draw a picture of what it means for the Word to both be God and to be with God? John, who writes this gospel, was born and raised a Jew. That is, he believed, and when he writes this, he still believes that there was only one God. But he has come to see that in this one God, there is more than one person. Here, John is showing us what God is like, and in fact, what God has always been like way back in the beginning. This is who God is. God exists in this relationship of a father and a son. And you see that in verse um, 14, when John says, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, 
we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You cannot understand who God is unless you understand that right at the heart of what this one God is, is this relationship between a father and a son. And so, when John says that the Word was with God, it is more literally the Word was towards God, or some would even say the Word was face-to-face with God. It's describing there this intimacy of relationship. There are these two persons that are inseparable. And as we read through the rest of the Bible, we find that there are, in fact, three persons in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You might recall how the book of Genesis describes God creating everything. It doesn't say that God used His hands And it doesn't say that God recruited a number of uh, laborers or angels to do the work for Him. It says that God brought everything into existence simply by speaking. So, it's the case that we read that, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What did God do? He He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be dry land and there was dry land. Let us make man in our image. It was simply in the uttering of the words that all of the creative power of God was unleashed. God made things by His powerful Word. And so, we start to see, don't we, why this is just so fitting that John would give us this image to describe who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, the powerful agent of creation. And it gets more interesting than that because the Bible reveals that God does more than just create by His Word. He rescues people by His Word as well. If you were to read Psalm 107, you would hear there the testimonies of a number of different groups of people who fell into trouble and who cried out to the Lord for help. Here's how one of those testimonies goes. It says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His Word and healed them and delivered them from their distress. You see there, by sending out His Word, God rescues His people. And John tells us that he's writing about the Word whom God sends to us. And then even think about how you use words every day, the purpose that words serve for us. Words are the means that we have of expressing ourselves. Whatever is going on in here, if it's going to get out of here to there, you're going to need words. You're going to need words. I'm unable to get across to you today the message that I have without words. And while it is true that sometimes actions speak louder than words, you cannot interpret someone else's actions without processing some kind of words in your head. 
you are so dependent on words. And here John says, this is how God reveals who He is, by sending out His Word through the Word that was in the beginning with God. Look at how this section ends in verse 18. John says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. The Word, the Word that creates, that saves, that reveals. This is who Jesus is. And so already we're being stretched here, aren't we? Just in a few verses, John stretches what we instinctively think at this time of year, because so often when we think about Christmas, we think about Jesus, we do reduce him down to some wee dolly in a wooden manger. But we're to see that actually he is so much more. John urges us to look back further than 2,000 years back into eternity itself to see that God Himself is doing something, that this Jesus is the Creator of the world, the Creator of you. He is the Savior of the world, the Savior of you, and He is the revelation of God, revealing God to you. But John's got more to say. He tells us that Jesus is the Word, and then there's another word picture that dominates Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. You see in verse 4, Jesus is the maker of everything and the giver of life to everything. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's an important distinction here. You and I have life. Uh, well, I can see about 90% of you definitely have life. <laughs> and the only reason that we have life is because life has been given to us. Jesus is life. This word who he speaks about is life in himself. No one gives him life. He is life. It's all of life's origin is found in him. And it's a theme that appears uh, again in John's gospel if you were to read through. And here in verse 4, John says, in giving us life, well, he has given us light. Well, what could that light be? The account of creation tells us that humans are made in the image of God. There is something in every human being that is a reflection of their maker. Elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that God has written eternity in our hearts. In other words, we do instinctively have this longing for something that is bigger than us, something that is beyond us. Or perhaps it's what the Bible describes as, as the stamp of God's moral law in our hearts, this gift of conscience that God has given to us. And in fact, perhaps John has all of these things in mind. These ways in which God has given us light has, has helped us to, to see that there is more to us than just us. 
And John says, verse 9, that the giver of light enlightens everyone. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And this, this message that John has for us is so very positive so far, isn't it? Um, and then in verse 5, he introduces the first hint of conflict. Because there we see in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. Now, as far as creation goes, the light shone in the darkness and it prevailed over it. What was chaos became an ordered world and God saw that it was very good. But there's another darkness into which the light shines. And it's the darkness of human sin. That darkness will not overcome the light, but there is a battle along the way. And we see that in how John describes how people in the darkness respond differently to the light that the Word brings. So, verse 9, you see that the true light was coming into the world. And when John writes about the world, he's saying more than um, Jesus came to the third planet from the sun. That's not the sense in which he's using that word world. There's a moral dimension to how he speaks about the world. The world is God's creation, but it is God's creation now in rebellion against its creator. And so you think about that, it's what gives weight to those very famous words in John 3, for God so loved the world. So let's replace that. So for God so loved the creation that is in rebellion against Him that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so even though the world was made by Him, Verse 10, the world did not know him. Jesus was born a Jew. His primary mission, actually, was reaching other Jews. But John can sum it up like this, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is the desperateness of the human condition the world, and in fact, human beings themselves are oozing with the telltale marks of God's creative handiwork. And we ourselves are made in God's image. And yet, despite all these evidences of God's nearness and even God sending His Son into the world, the verdict is this, that Human beings don't recognize him for who he is. And in fact, we reject him. Next week, we plan to look at John 3. And here's how this principle is summed up there in verse 19. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, this is very consistent with the message of the Bible and very consistent with what we see all around us and what we see in our own hearts. There really is something that is broken in human beings. 
We were made to know our Creator. But the reality is that, naturally speaking, we seem barely to know Him, barely able to recognize Him, and certainly unable to honor Him. And it is into that kind of darkness that the light of the Son of God shines. And though many, even His own people, even as you read the Gospels, his own family, did not recognize him. Praise God, John tells us that there's another part to this story. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here, John really does lay down a marker for the rest of his gospel. Jesus, the light, gives new life to all who will receive Him. This is the theme of human history. God gives light that seems for the most part to be rejected, but there are some who receive it and some who find God. And there is only one way to become a true child of God. First of all, John tells us the ways that don't make us a child of God. Verse 13, um, those whom He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. These three dead-end options for trying to be right with God are what we could call natural means. He says, it's not your blood, it's not your family tree, not your natural descent. In fact, even if you're a descendant of Abraham, that is not how you become a true child of God. And it's not even if someone else has a strong desire for you to be a child of God. That is not what will get you there. None of these natural roots will work. There is only one way, and it is to be born of God. That's what he says here. Born not of those things, but born of God. Each one of us needs God to give us spiritual life. And that comes through receiving and believing in the Word, in the light, in Jesus Christ. And I suppose it is worth asking And perhaps we're supposed to ask at this point in this opening to John's gospel, a big why. Why is, if if there is all of this upside to believing who Jesus is, why is it that so many miss him? There's more than one answer to that. Uh, We've already thought of how the Bible gives us one answer to that, is that there's something in us that prefers darkness to light. But there's one more thing we must observe about the Word. Because up to now, John has spoken to us in general terms. And in fact, he's spoken to us in, in abstract terms, hasn't he? Jesus Christ is the Word. Jesus is the light who was coming into the world. He came to his own. Well, how did he do that? Look at verse 14. We see that Jesus became human. John writes, 
and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Strictly speaking, I suppose John doesn't actually identify the Word until we get to here, verse 14. But you see clearly who he has in mind, the Son of God, who he had seen with his own eyes. This is no abstract forth-hand account. John the Apostle, who saw the glory of Christ, is able to write about him here for us. Now, I suppose John could have said the Word became human. He could have even said the Word became a man. But instead, he was moved to write the Word became flesh. And I think it's very deliberate because that word flesh is a word that speaks about human weakness. And it's as if John deliberately uses a word to highlight the weakness of humanity. The prophet Isaiah would say, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. That's what it is to be in flesh, to have beauty for a season perhaps, and then it fades away to nothing. The flesh is this earthly part of us with its passions and its desires. And as fallen, sinful humans, our lives lived in the flesh are hostile to God. And so, this word flesh is significant. Sometimes in our home, uh, the kids like to play uh, guess the opposite, okay? Hey, we could, we could have a bit of fun here, could we? All right, so we would say, what's the opposite of night? Day, well done. You're getting the hang of it. What's the opposite of chewy? Oh, it's crunchy. Come on. What's the opposite of interesting? Ah, you're already with that one. (laughs) What's the opposite of God? Flesh. Flesh. And it's as if John deliberately wants to get this to us. The Word who is God became flesh in all of its weakness, in all of the sorriness of flesh. The eternal, uncreated, sovereign life giver became flesh and dwelt among us. John doesn't say took the appearance of flesh. He became flesh. He truly became one of us. And you read through John's gospel, and even though John's great aim in his gospel is to convince you that Jesus is the Son of God, he does not at any time hide the fact that Jesus was human. So he'll tell us that Jesus was tired, Jesus was hungry, Jesus was weeping when his friend died. Jesus bleeds. Jesus dies. The Word becoming flesh is absolutely crucial. Listen to Jesus' words from John 6. He says, The bread that I will give for the life of the world 
is my flesh. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This flesh that he takes on, this humanity that becomes truly his, is what he will give for the world. He takes on human life, not a sin-tainted life like yours or mine, but he takes on flesh and lives the perfect life of obedience that no human has lived, and he lays that life down for the world. When we read of his suffering and his death by crucifixion, we're seeing the reason why he was ever born at all. Come as one of us to die in our place. And here is why, in answer to that question I asked I don't know how long ago, here is why so many find it so difficult to recognize their Creator when they look into the manger at Christmas time. Because actually, our Creator is revealing Himself in the weakness of human flesh. In the weakest of flesh, a newborn baby. And for those who thought that it was scandalous to think about God becoming a human in this sort of way, the greatest scandal was yet to come. That God the Word made flesh would submit Himself to death by crucifixion. God became one of us to become our representative to bear all the judgment against sin that our sins deserve. He comes to bring human beings back to God, and this is the only way it can be done if He becomes truly human so that He might truly and fully be our representative before God. And this is why Santa got it right 1,700 years ago, not in the punching but this is why he got it right in his doctrine. The Son of God has to be truly human, but also has to be truly God. For it is only if he is truly God that this perfect life that he lives, that this sacrifice for sin that he offers will have eternal power, that it will endure for all eternity. And so, at this time of year, which does tend to be sentimental, we are brought face to face with a baby. And it is true that more people come to church around Christmas time. And I would put it to you that one of the reasons is because they feel there's nothing less threatening than the baby Jesus. But here, John is telling us to not settle for that for a minute. He's saying this is the Word that has become flesh. This is your Creator. This is the one who gave you life. This is the one against whom you have rebelled, and He comes to us as one of us to save us. This Jesus is worthy of all of your worship, all of your allegiance, all of your adoration. 
He demands your belief. Settle for nothing less, because it's only in believing in Him that you can become a child of God. In the accounts of the birth of Christ, the promises of the Old Testament are brought front and center and shown how they are fulfilled in Jesus. And one of them is that the Savior who would be born will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not the first of God's created beings with us, God with us. This is who lies in the manger. This is who hangs on the cross. And this is who calls you to himself today. Come believing and find the right to be called a child of God through him. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for these remarkable words that your Holy Spirit moved John to write for us. Thank you that he was given such an insight into who Jesus is. And we thank you that he is the word. Thank you that he is our creator, our savior, the one who perfectly reveals God to us. Thank you that he is the light. And we thank you that he was made flesh. Thank you that he is our representative if we are trusting in him. And we thank you that this babe in the manger took on human flesh, not so that we could ooh and ah or design Christmas cards, but so that he might grow to be a man, to live that life of perfect obedience and to give that life as a sacrifice for sinners. And we pray, Father, that now as we prepare our hearts to remember Christ in his death, Lord, that you would, Lord, that you would produce in us true worship because our Savior is indeed God with us. Amen. Now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for being with us today.